I'm so glad to be here. This is, uh, this is a very, very fun Sunday for me because I can wear my Elaine Yassi special. She got me this tie and these socks. So I'm going to just kind of... Not every day you can look like an American flag or one of those little Debbie American cookies. So um, this is a, a, an awesome opportunity you guys have had to hear the choir. Didn't they do an awesome job? Wasn't that, that great? You probably didn't know this, but uh, they've recently been employed in the War on Terror. Uh, they're going to take the entire choir, put them in a helicopter with loudspeakers, and fly them over the Middle East, and they're just going to sing that song, God Bless America. And they said that the, the guys will just drop their guns right there in the sand. So uh, it's an anti-terrorism measure. They'll all just instantly give up because they'll hear the, our choir. So I'm, I'm really excited for them. Uh, you got to hear it here first. Um, I uh, actually have a really exciting opportunity, so I'm going to be speaking twice uh, uh, today and then next week for our graduation ceremony and service. Um, now, uh, that means I get to do a series, so we always do series in youth, and uh, th so this is going to be a, a series called The Call of God, and uh, um, how many of you believe uh, that God does call? He, he calls, and although I wish he did call from an iPhone, it would be a lot simpler, we're going to kind of unpack a little bit about how God calls. And what's nice about having a, a, a series is uh, if you don't, if you're a visitor and you don't like today's message, don't come back next week because I'm speaking again. So just, you know, no, uh, pastor is on vacation. We want to, um, we want to ask the Lord on his behalf for just rest and new vision and new exciting things for God to do in his life. His son uh, and uh, daughter-in-law are flying in from California tomorrow, so they're, they're all stoked to spend, uh, I said stoked because he's from California, um, and uh, they're, they're looking forward to a, a tubular time with them in uh, doing whatever they do out in California. So uh, turn your Bibles to Acts 8. Acts 8. This is one of the most interesting and surprising stories in the Bible. And um, I love this story. It's, uh, it's about a man of God named Philip. And Philip uh, has uh, a couple of interesting encounters, but this is by far his most well-known encounter. And uh, it's actually one of the craziest stories in the New Testament. It, it involves... Uh, uh, superhuman strengths, uh, feats, miracles, uh, uh, wild conversions, and that's all just in one chapter. So Acts 8, and I'm going to start reading at verse 5. If you don't have it, uh, we're going to put it up on the um, screen. Uh, well, we're going to put most of it up on the screen. You guys can guess at the rest of the scriptures on the left slide there. Um, okay, so Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he had said. For, and this is great, with shrieks, impure or demonic spirits came out of many. Could you imagine that? Just preaching right now, we're having church, and somebody over in the corner, it, it would probably be in the youth section, it just starts screaming and like demons are floating out. This is, it's a crazy, crazy service. Impure spirits came out of many. Many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Now, that's a pretty cool revival to happen in that uh, city, isn't it? That's a, that's a big city. Samaria is a monster city, and uh, uh, this huge thing's happening. Now, we're going to skip ahead to verse 26. Acts 8, verse 26. Now, 
And how many know in the Bible, whenever it says now, there's a, a beat change. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 27, so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candaic, which uh, means uh, queen of the Ethiopians. So this guy uh, worked for the queen. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, here's the deal. A chariot is pulled by, and our horse is fast or slow. They're fast, yeah. Uh, uh, except for when I go trail riding, because I'm 230 pounds, when they give me the horse, it's uh, half nag, half uh, donkey, because it's the only one that can hold me. But uh, everybody else's horses are very fast. So then Philip ran up to the chariot. Miracle number one. He ran up, or miracle number two. He ran up to the chariot, and hearing the man reading Isaiah the prophet, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And 31, how can I, the eunuch said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. It's funny that he doesn't go, oh my goodness, a man running alongside the chariot, but he does. 32, then this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. So this is the piece from Isaiah he was reading. You tell me if you can figure out what the mystery is here. What, what is this prophecy about? He was like a sheep to the slaughter, and a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of this, his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This is from Isaiah, and who is he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Very good. Now, of course, this guy hadn't heard of Jesus, or maybe if he did, it was just this passing thing, but he had never connected the dots. 34, so the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or uh, somebody else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. This is a very good evangelism method. Start with where they're at. Start with what they're into. If they're into cars, you can take cars and go to Jesus. That's how you get from A to B. And so he does that. And, and, he, and he begins with that very passage of scripture. And he told them the good news about Jesus. Then, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Hey, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of being baptized? And so he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Miracle number three. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at uh, Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story. Uh, thank you for what you did in the eunuch's life. Obviously, you were doing something and it got recorded. But it's also your word, which means it means something to us. And I just pray right now it would change our hearts our lives, and it would move in our minds and our spirits. God, if you can't speak through me, speak in spite of me. But today, I just pray that we would all walk away knowing that we can go down any road that you call us to. Let us today know we've heard from you, the call of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, it's for you. 
I, it's for you. This, this, this story is for you. God is calling each and every one of us. And I, I know when I was younger, I thought the call of God was going to come in lightning bolts and magic and sparklers and explosions. That's how I thought. I had read the story of Paul, and I was like, God is going to do something huge, a Damascus Road experience, and that wasn't the case at all. God had a lot to teach me about the call of God. And here's the thing. One of the things that I've found that is so true is it is so easy to confuse my will with God's will. My ideas with God's ideas. I used to work at Southeastern University. It's uh, uh, our church Assembly of God, and they have some Assembly of God schools. And so I went to one in Florida, and uh, I, I was a resident director after I graduated. And, and, and as I worked there, I would, I would work hand in, in glove with the uh, young people. And uh, a lot of the young men would come to me with questions about life and spirituality and dating and God's calling on their life and stuff. And that was really a great experience for me. And so I remember this one young man came up to me, and and he said, Pastor Ryan, um, I got to tell you a story. I was a, I was a youth pastor at the time too, and he worked with me. And he's like, I got I to gotta ask your advice on something. I'm like, all right, cool. And, and so he said, uh, I was doing a student-led um, tour. He worked at the college too. I was doing a student-led tour, and this uh, middle-aged woman came up to me, kind of wild-eyed, bug-eyed, and she said, God has spoken to me. And he's like, all right, cool, you know, good for you, yeah. And, and she goes, uh, you are to marry my daughter. <laughs> now, I don't know what I should do, Ryan. What, what should I do? And I looked at him and I said, well, uh, the Bible says something about this. And the phrase is, flee the wrath that is to come. <laughs> Run, right? Get away. Oh, my goodness. And and it's, it's, it's so interesting that we're all looking for a word from God, and yet we have the Bible, yet we have churches, we have devotional, we have the, the, uh, the Christian stories going back to the beginning of time, and yet we're all looking for a personal word. No, 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 no. I want God to tell me whether I should go to Target or Walmart, right? It's like, come on, you're in Michigan, go to Meyer, duh, you know. Well, I'm sorry, Myers, right? Because everything's plural around here. No, go to Kmart's, all of them. Uh, how specific does God have to speak to you and I before it actually counts? Or can God speak through a story like this? I think we confuse our wills with God's will sometimes. I, I don't think, and I told this young man, I don't think mom actually heard from the Lord when she just, I think she looked at you and said, He's, he'll do, <laughs> right? And, and, and went after him. But um, I think sometimes we're so clear on what seems to be the right thing that we, we want to impose what we think onto the mind of God. You ever do that? No, not you. I mean, I do, obviously, but not you guys. And, 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 and God is like... God, right? I mean, God is like sovereign. God didn't go to preschool. He didn't go to Lakeside's preschool. So he didn't learn to like share with you or with me. He's not even interested in playing nice. Isn't that an interesting idea that we have imposed some of humanity's virtues and values onto God and God's like, yeah, that's 
nice, and it will get you through first grade, but I don't share. That's, that's not who I am. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. Uh, when I say something, I just kind of expect to be obeyed. And, and even if obedience doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. You know what I'm... That bugs me about God. Like, that's annoying, right? Like, I'm... I want it to make sense to me. I, God, I gotcha. I hear you. But why? And God never seems to answer. And it's hard sometimes. And sometimes God takes us to really tough places. I mean, there were amazing miracles going on in Samaria. Samaria was like the Chicago of the time. It was a big city. And, and God had done this sweeping Move! I, I, d- demons were getting casted out. People's arms were regrowing. I, you know, the lame were walking. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. Oh, wow! God, you're awesome. You're doing amazing things. And 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 listen now. Now listen to how God speaks to Philip here. Listen. Listen to how He speaks. It's a, you know, following this great revival of Samaria, the whole city is being converted. Every man, woman, and child is coming to God. Signs and wonders, demons cast out. And then Peter and John arrive from Jerusalem, and there's a second revival. Revival doubles over. It's like a wave. It keeps hitting. And the second revival is a Pentecostal outpouring. I mean, this is where we get kind of our church from. And this whole town receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the whole town. Then they're like what do we do next? And, and, and the guys are like, well, let's get water baptized. So they all get water baptized. I mean, could you imagine this? The whole town, all the Shelby Township, this is all happening. This is amazing. Were these people so different from us that were leading this? I don't want to impose my carnality onto Philip, but I would want to stay. I would want to stay in that place. When things are good, don't you want to stay? When you're on vacation, what's the most painful day of vacation? It's the day you get on the plane to go back home. And then the next most painful day is at the end of the month when the credit card bill is due. But like that, that day where you're like, oh, I, I, you ever, are you like me? It actually takes you a couple of days to wind down and, and not like uh, feel. And then all of a sudden it hits you a day or two before you have to go home. You're like, Oh my goodness, I'm actually on vacation. I'm relaxed. This is great. I mean, that's when like one of the twins barfs on you or something. But like that, you know, you're, you're feeling good. You're feeling excited. And then God moves them. Think how the people would have prayed following this amazing revival. How would Philip pray? Thank you, God. You've given us the city of Samaria, right? You've given us Chicago. Now let's go to New York. Let's go to Los Angeles, right? He's saying, let's go to Jerusalem, Lord. Oh, the, the spiritual center of the world. No, 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 no. God, take me to Rome. The military might of the world, the center of the empire of the whole world is owned by Rome. No, 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 God, God, take, take me to Athens. Take me to Athens, the intellectual center of the world. All the universities, the great library, all of these great minds. God, let's convert them. And God looks down at him and goes, oh, that's great, that's great. None of the above. Uh, option D. I want you to go down this road right here and into the desert. Listen to this. When God speaks to you, he will never con you. When God speaks to you, he will never con you. 
There are some preachers, there are some people writing books, there are some evangelists and all that kind of stuff, and they talk about these mysteries of the Bible, that there's, there's all these little secrets and things like that, and you have to suss them out. And I always find that interesting, that it requires his book to get that secret, right? And, and only a gift of 1995 can get that book, right? And you're always like, well, if God really wanted me to know something, I think I could have learned it on my own. Right? And, 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 and so what I found, I found, is that when God actually speaks, when he's got a thing to say, he'll never con you. There's no con. He says, go to Gaza, and this is what he says in the text. This is a desert. Isn't that interesting? He, he doesn't go, hey, go over here. You'll like it. Right? I do that with my boys. Hey, guys, we're going out for ice cream. Before that, we'll go to the dentist, but we'll go out for ice cream afterwards, Right? I'm one of those con artist parents, but like God is not a con artist parent. When he says it's desert time, it's desert time. Hey guys, we're going for root canals. Come on, get on the bus. And you, I could just, I don't know, maybe he was a, I know he was a better man than me. But if I was in his position, I would say, no, 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 God. I'm a pastor of cities. I'm an evangelist to cities. Didn't you see what we did in Samaria? You and me, we're a good team. Some cities. Not the desert. I sunburn easy. I don't like the sand. It gets everywhere. Every time God gives someone a miracle, every time God gives someone a miracle, he runs the risk of spawning a ministry. Every time God does something supernatural, you and I, we want to freeze it right in place, don't we? I was in West Virginia, and I was in a, um, a church of a denomination that if you knew it, you'd know exactly what it was. And they were known for circuit riding back in the early and late 1800s and 1900s, okay? Hundreds of years ago, they were circuit riding preachers. And so they would have six or seven different churches, and one pastor would get on a horse and ride around. And you had to do that back then. You don't have to do it anymore. And yet, when I was in that church in West Virginia on a missions trip, guess what the name of their publication was at the church? The Circuit Rider. Now, there's something, there's something to honoring history. I mean, that's what we're doing on July 4th, honoring history, right? We're not fighting for our independence right now. We did that, but we're honoring it. But there's something also very dangerous about clinging to old things. Every time God does something, that was an amazing move of God during the circuit riding time. But that time is over. And that denomination is dying. Why? Because they are clinging to the old methods. Listen, any time a church gets bent out of shape because the color of a carpet, that church is in trouble. That, I find it so interesting. I find it so interesting that the people who most get bent out of shape over the color of the carpet change their carpet three times in the last ten years. I find that so, oh, we can't have the piano over there. It was over here. I, I, I was in a church, an uh, old school Pentecostal church in Florida, and that was a big deal. The piano was over here. So you know what we did? The senior pastor said, I want you to move it five inches every Sunday. And we did. I, I kid you not. We went, ooh, and, it, ooh, and then about halfway through my internship, it was right here. 
and then we just kept moving it, kept moving it, and then it was over there, and everybody was kosher. But you know what? There's an attitude there that's a real problem. <laughs> that's weird. Every time God does something amazing, we go, this is it. This is it. This is what God has me to do. No, it's what God had you to do. What does he have you to do right now might be very different. This is a remarkable part of the story. Philip immediately goes down the road. That's how you can tell a man or woman of God. You see, delayed obedience is disobedience. How do I know that? I have six-year-old kids. Oh, oh, nobody tells you about this, okay? Uh, Jack, Logan, come here. Did you hear me? What? You heard me. What did I just say? Huh? Boys, I need you to clean up this, uh, this uh, Lego mess over here. I just sat down and about took my foot off. What are Legos? Ah, you know, you just delayed obedience. That's disobedience. It's, it's, it's like rebellion diet coke, you know. It's, it's just a little bit. He sees this chariot, and God says, hey, approach that chariot. And Philip runs to the chariot. When you can obey God enthusiastically and with joy in the middle of your desert, that's when you move closer and closer to the miracle at the end of the road. There's a miracle at the end of every road, even desert roads. Even desert roads. Hello? <laughs> oh, it's not me. Check your phone. It's the Lord calling. It's part of the illustration, I swear. God's job is not to run. That's our job. And when God gives me the direction... My job is to run. This is the key to your personal ministry and the miracle at the end of the road. I want you to think of it in very personal terms. What has God asked you to do? I run into this all the time. Now, Anthony is hands down one of the best interns we've ever had. He's amazing, and he's done such a great job. But we have had interns in the past, especially in Florida. I had a couple, and they thought they were the new executive pastors. And they were calling meetings. They were, and, I, and I'm just like, you're not allowed to direct the choir. Sit back down, you know? And, and, and what was it? It was that they were told to run this direction, and they said, no, 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 God. I'm a God of Samaria. I'm not a desert God. I'm a God of Samaria. And Philip sees that one opportunity, listen to this, as if it was a whole city. Isn't that powerful? He, he, he said, this one guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with all of my power, with all of my strength. I worked my tail off in Samaria, and I'm going to work my tail off just with this one guy. If, if the Lord can't call any minister or any pastor to one person, he can't call him to a whole city. There's no way. There's no way. I have to have a personal ministry. I reach out to my neighbors, not as Pastor Ryan, as Ryan. Because there's a big danger when the only ministry I do, Pastor Howell will tell you, anybody who, who, who uh, works in the ministry full-time, the big danger is that we think of ministry as a job. 
It's, 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 it's dangerous. And that's when you get into error. Because you, it's just a job. You're just checking it. And what keeps me grounded is when I reach out just as Ryan and reach out to my neighbors, reach out to my unsaved loved ones and my friends, just me. Not, I'm not even any better at evangelism one-on-one than you are. I'm just me in that moment. And Philip sees that one single opportunity, and, and I'm convinced that this is a spiritual principle. And if you're a young adult here today, this one spiritual principle will make you or break you. It is found in Luke 16.10, and it's this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. We love that, right? We love that verse. Oops, there's a little bit more to the verse. See, this is the part we never talk about. Everybody can quote you. Whoever's trusted in little can be trusted in much, right? We love that idea. More, more, more. That's very American of us. Oh, hold on. There's not a full stop there. There's a comma. Because the rest of the verse is, whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. We've learned that. All of my voting age people in this room know exactly what that looks like on a political scale. They cheat, they lie when they're junior senators. They cheat, they lie when they're running the armed forces, the Department of Justice. They, the, the, these politicians, we see it all the time. They, they, they cheat and they lie their way through Yale or Harvard, and it, it follows them. Can God trust you to run through the desert? This one challenges all of us, but it especially is tough for young people. Because I know what it's like. Young people, listen to me. All of us, we all look so old to you. We all, oh, man, I remember when I was 15, I would look at a, my youth pastor who was 35, I'm 35, and I'd go, oh my gosh, he's got one foot in the grave, this poor guy. You know, somebody get him a walker, 35, oh, you know? I just thought he was, he was so ancient. But here's the deal. When I was young, I thought all of my heroes just popped fully formed from the forehead of Zeus. They didn't walk through any fire. They didn't have any tough times. It's just smooth sailing. They're just so good at what they do. That's the myth. And it's perpetuated by social media, right? We see all these people, and they're all on vacation. They're having a great time. We don't know. I mean, you know, all those people that aren't here this morning, they're skipping church because it's uh, 4th of July weekend. You don't know, but I was up at 6.30 this morning praying for rain. Lord, rain all over them. Your glory. And some water. Amen. You know, I, you know that's, that's what you get. But you guys, oh, you're going to have a great July 4th. Did you know that? I've been praying for you too. Lord, everyone who comes to church, bless them. It'll rain on everyone else but them. Amen. We think people just pop right out, ready to go. But it's not true. And God may call you first to a desert place. What did Jesus do before his ministry starting at 30 years old. We don't know. Yeah, he was a carpenter. We have a teeny weeny little story of him when he was 12 years old, but the rest of the time, we don't know anything. Think about that. We don't know anything. He was a carpenter. And, and God hammered him out in obscurity and then released him. That's a good word for us. That's a good word for us. God has us sometimes in obscurity because he is preparing us, working on us, seeing what we do in the desert place. Now, this one isn't an easy word. 
But I'm not running for any office, so I don't care. Particularly in the charismatic and evangelical world, we have a hard time believing that God deliberately calls his son or his daughter to the desert. We have a hard time dealing with that. Now, I'm with you. I believe in a good God. I don't believe God is up in heaven, some malevolent child pulling the the wings off of butterflies and frying ants with a a magnifying glass. God's not mean. I hate it when people, um, you ever ever, ever done this? You ever said, I'll do anything for the Lord, but I'm not going to go to India. I just, I don't want to go to India. I heard it's hot there. It's just really hot. And what is the first thing out of those uh, super ultra righteous mouth? Oh, don't say that. Don't you test God. Don't you say you won't go to India. God will send you to India. Like, what kind of theology is that? What is that? Who, what God do you serve? Where God's up in heaven going, just say it. <laughs> say you won't marry a redhead, Pastor Ben. Just say it, you know? Oh, he said it. Kara. <laughs> right? Now, I don't know what Pastor said. He, he said, I will never have a son-in-law work for me ever. God's like, yeah. Oh, I'm going to send some twins too, you know? Like, 17 of them. You're like, you know, like God is this big bully up in heaven with a big red button, like, smite, you know? I, <laughs> it doesn't work. That's not the God of the Bible, and it's not the God of our lives, but a lot of us live that way. But and when we think, when God sends us to the desert, we think, oh, he ain't been living right. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm having fun, but I've heard people say things like, that child's special needs because he was born out of wedlock. Shame on them. Shame on them. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's the enemy, and that's not true. That's not true. God doesn't do that. That's not the God of the universe. Oh, they're having financial difficulties. It's because one of their kids is rebellious. You know, I heard he's, he's got a DUI. Shame on them. Come on. What, you know what that says? It says nothing about God. It says everything about them. It says they're mean and small. That's what that says. It says you're mean and small. You're mean person. You're a, you're, God's not the bull you are. And, and, and when you're confronted with that, you know what happens? That's somebody who went through a desert of their own, and instead of getting better, they got bitter. Whenever you meet one of those dried out, shriveled up, angry Christians, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, pastor's not here. You meet them and you see them and you go, oh, I see what happened here. You tripped and you stayed. And you're still in that desert, aren't you? Because here's the funny thing about deserts. A desert will work as long as it needs to. If God's making raisins, he ain't going to take the grape out of the desert until it's good and ready. If God is cooking biscuits, he isn't going to take it out of the oven until it's nice and fluffy and crispy because nobody wants an undone biscuit and nobody wants half a grape. 
God is cooking in the desert. And no cookie ever said, boy, I like it in here. It didn't say that because cookies don't, don't talk. But uh, look, look, I, a desert doesn't just happen to us. It is God's explicit, perfect will in the immediate, present, and now. Philip doesn't wind up in the desert by mistake. It's not like God's looking down from heaven and going, oh, no, 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 Philip, don't. Oh, he's in the desert. I'm going to have to go rescue him. He's not looking at us from Google Maps. Right? You ever do that? You ever look and you're like, oh, there's my car, right? Oh, there's me. I need to go on a diet. You know? Like, like God's not looking down from heaven. He's here with us. We sing this stuff this morning. You, you are God, you are Lord, you are all I'm living for. What did I write down? You are the king of everything. I want my life to praise you. When do you want your life to praise God? When it's successful? When do you want your life to praise God? When you're wealthy? When it's in abundance? Or do you want your entire life to praise him? You know, I go on these, these Christian websites, you know, Christian curriculum and Christian speakers are writing all these books and all that kind of stuff. And I got to tell you, the websites are always clean and beautiful and pretty and there's flowers and perfect teeth preachers and everybody looks so great. And I think, who are you preaching to? Like, this is like God's perfect will for your life. Like, okay, right? Sometimes there's a desert. Do you want your life to praise him when it's dry? Do you want your life to praise him when you've walked out into the desert? See, he had no promise that there would be anything in the desert. Do you hear me? He didn't say, God didn't say, go to the desert. There's a eunuch. This eunuch is the, uh, works for the most powerful queen in Africa. You're going to save the nation of Ethiopia. No. What did he say? Go there. I mean, it was like ordering at McDonald's. I'll have a three. What do you want on that? Three. I want all three. Three me. Right? God's just like, desert. Go. Go. And you can say in the desert, in the desert you can say, I'm here. This is a place of blessing. Now that's crazy. And I don't know what you're facing, but I know something. You're facing some desert. I know you are. Why? Because you're alive, because you're human. Some of your deserts are big, and some of your deserts you just got out of a desert, so you're walking in some oasis time, and, and, and God is good either way. God is the same whether you are walking past sprinkled with blessing or dry, lifeless desert roads. And there's a miracle at the end of every road. There's a miracle at the end of your road. It's in the desert that God begins to reveal himself to us in majestic, sweet ways. It's in the desert that takes us to the extremes. Deserts are what I like to call flash bulb experiences. You ever, you ever, um, you ever use the camera and, and it just snaps and that after image is burned onto your eyes? It's like kind of a purple, you can still see the light of the camera? Or is that just me? I don't know. Uh, and, it, and it fires and, and you remember it for a while. It's, it's actually called, uh, in optics, visual memory. It, it, it's an afterimage. Now, there's a lot of afterimages, and they are almost always attached to tough times. Think about it. 
Think about it. Where were you when this happened? If you're old enough, where were you? No, somebody tell me. Seriously, it's okay. Who was in school? Who was in school? All right. Who was working? Who was working? All right, all right, all right. Who wasn't born yet? All right, all right. Some of you put your hands down. Come on now. All right. Which of, which of you actually did it? Ah, I thought I could trick you into answering. Oh, well. Uh, okay. Where were you when this happened? This is the Challenger explosion. I know. I was three years old, and I watched it from my backyard. And I thought, I'm not going to be an astronaut anymore. I kid you not. I wanted to be an astronaut. Every, every little boy in Florida wants to be an astronaut. We watch these go up once a month. And when that happened, I was like, I'm done. Not interested. That, that was very clarifying. Where were you? Who was at school? Who was at work? Who was home? I mean, think about it. Who was at home and you can remember where you were in the house when you saw it? Who was at home, you can remember where you were in the house, and you can remember the type, color of chair you were sitting on or near? Flash. How about this one? Where were you? Who was home? Who was at work? Who was at school? I was at school. I remember Dr. Rutland, the president of the college, came up and said the second tower has uh, just fallen. And that moment, I can tell you the names of the people around me. I can tell you the color of the shirt I was wearing. Now, the day before, I couldn't tell you what I had for lunch Tuesday. Think about it. But this after image, this flashbulb experience, this desert we walked through in America, I remember. 9-11. Think about this. What was your personal flashbulb experience? What was it? I remember, and you can just take that off, I remember having a blowout in my car in the green swamp of Florida. I was driving back from an internship, and uh, I was an a associate youth pastor, and we were driving through the green swamp. If you don't know anything about the green swamp, there's nothing there, and there's nothing to know about it. It's green, and it's a swamp, and it's like, 40 square miles. And we were driving from uh, Claremont, Florida to Lakeland, and we had taken a different road. This was 2000, and 2000 cell phones were garbage. You know, you look at this, and it's like, whoa, supercomputer, that thing. You, you sneeze, and the thing would just break, and there was no service. We had no service. We were out in the middle of nowhere, and the flat didn't have a spare, or the car didn't have a spare for the flat. We were donezo. And out of nowhere, and nobody's on this road. We had taken this road as a shortcut, uh, foolishly, uh, and we were driving, and all of a sudden headlights and, and old Florida cracker, and, and that's not a racist term, that's what they call Floridians out in the, the, the swamp there, the Florida cracker for the whips that they would carry for the cattle. And, and so an old Florida cracker, pair of bibs, no shirt, no shoes, rolls up in, a, in an old 1960s Ford truck. And he goes, y'all need help? And I just had to bite my tongue. No, we're fine. You know, no, yes, we do. He gets out, helps us out. He starts to drive off. I turn to my friends. I'm like, oh, man, that was awesome. 
What a blessing. I turn around over my shoulder and he is gone. This road is 20 miles of flat swamp road straight. There's no turn. There's no way off. You turn down any one way and you are gator bait. Angels unaware. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. And my personal desert was green and wet. But I was in the middle of nowhere for four hours and I was freaking out. No way to call, and nobody knew we were over there. What's your desert road? The question is, in another place in the Bible, is Jesus in the boat or isn't he? Jesus is in the boat. No water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. The road down which God leads us may not be the road that we've chosen. I bet you, you never would have chosen the desert. But the miracle at the end of the road doesn't even look like a miracle you would have selected. You're like, I, I don't see anywhere in my future where cancer survivor is a fun title. Right? No, nobody's like, boy, when I grow up, I want to be a cancer survivor. Right? That's not, that's not something. But for a Christian, there's a miracle at the end of every road. Listen to me. There's a miracle at the end of every road. Now, we don't mourn. We don't mourn like those who have no hope. Amen? That's the Bible. We don't mourn like those who have no hope. But uh, uh, one of the things that worries me about modern Christianity is that we don't have a real meaningful theology of death. We are chasing eternal life here on earth just like the rest of secular society. Oh, secular people are desperate to live forever. They spend hours in the gym. They eat kale-only diets. I mean, I don't even want to live if all I can eat is kale, right? Just bring me home, Lord. But, but like, I think it's, it's getting into our culture too. Oh, you, you got to put these 18 essential oils at these different points on your face and go get some of this and you got to do this and you got to eat this. And you, I'm like, home, oh, my goodness. If the Lord wants to take me, he's welcome to. It's awesome up there, and it's mediocre at best here. I'm okay. I'll, I'll stay healthy, but I don't hold on to this life. I hold on to this life. There's a miracle up the road for every single Christian with cancer. Whether cancer ends up killing me or not, there's a line of cancer in my family. A ton of people in my family have No, that's dead? Is it? Oh, yeah. All right. Stop being so animated, Ryan. But if I get cancer, right? People are like, oh, don't speak that. What are you talking about? Don't speak that. This isn't Harry Potter. I can't speak cancer on you. If that worked, everybody on a whole road that cuts me off would have died immediately. Lord, kill them, kill them all. Send them into ditches. You know, God, forgive me when I drive on that road. It just about takes my spiritual... There, you can't speak cancer over somebody's life. I mean, I, I agree you have to be positive, but that's a mindset, not a word. And, and so, like, if the Lord sees fit to walk me through some major sickness and doesn't heal me on this earth, I will still be healed. That's a tough theology. That's okay. I've had to come to grips with that because of the amount of cancer in my family. And people are like, oh, you've got to cast that out. I don't think there's like a demon of cancer. 
I don't see that in the Bible. We live in a fallen world full of broken things. There's deserts everywhere. And yet God will walk with me through whatever deserts he's put in my path. I like that a lot better than I'll live forever. Oh my gosh, could you imagine what I would look like at 200 years old? Some hobbled, ancient, sad-looking old mummy walking around going, back in my day, cell phones weren't implanted in your head. You know what I mean? Like, like who wants to live that way? And I think it is so interesting that God would use a eunuch, don't you? Now, for those of you who don't know, I don't, I don't really want to go into the details, but a eunuch cannot reproduce. And yet God does something through a eunuch. God has a great sense of humor. He does something through a eunuch. He gets the eunuch filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, sent back to the queen of Ethiopia and starts the first church in Africa. When missionaries, there's a picture of it, when missionaries go to Africa in the 1900s, guess what they find? They go there to convert Ethiopians, and the Ethiopians say, <laughs> you babies, you guys have been worshiping the Lord for a hundred years. We have been worshiping the Lord since Philip. The Ethiopian church in Africa has ancient ruins. Show that picture. Yeah, they unearthed this. Look at this gorgeous underground church. It was covered over. These are all Christians. They worship there every single year. Oh, Americans, we're so funny. We think we've got the corner on Christianity. And God goes, you babies, while you were still in the womb, I was creating a church in Ethiopia. I was doing my work in my way through my deserts. Do you think that God feels none of the constraints? Or does he feel all these constraints that we have? I don't think God is constrained to any human understanding of fairness. I, I don't think God is like, boy, all right, all right, all right. You know, like, like your dad on Christmas morning, right? And he's looking at all the presents for all the kids, and he's like, okay, does he have enough? Uh, I'm getting him a bike because he really needs it, but Susie, uh, the dollhouse, is it equal? I mean, I didn't even know this pressure until Christmas happened. Let me ask you a question. How many of you raised more than one kid? How many of you raised more than one kid? Now, you guys who had one kid, you lucked out. I mean, seriously, this is, this is, this is like a, a crisis moment for anybody who's raised more than one kid. Do you think I could come home from work with just one candy bar? <laughs> it would be World War III. It would be the end of the Hakes House as we know it. Show this picture of Jack and Logan. Here we are at 7-Eleven Choose Your Container Day. This was a day where you could uh, choose any container you want. So we went to Salvation Army and bought all this stuff. Uh, the boys have, um, I think it's like one of those Halloween pumpkin candy things. Don't worry, uh, we're not, it's not an endorsement of Halloween. It's just they, they wanted them. And, and, and you could fill anything. So I chose a basketball. Um, and cut the top off. It was a terrible choice. It tasted terrible. <laughs> ah, I, I was drinking that for the picture and immediately threw the whole thing away. It's it a bad idea. But uh, the boys got these exact same things, these little plastic pumpkin things, right? And Julie may have a root beer stein, but we won't talk about that. And so um, the, uh, the boys started arguing about who had the most blue Slurpee. They were, you know, in layers when you pour it in a different flavor. I wanted more. And I'm like, 
I'm going to murder you in the 7-Eleven parking lot. I can't believe we're arguing about... And, and of course, like, that was more slurpy than they could ever drink. I mean, they had, like, type 19 diabetes by the time they were done with that. It was, it was just... It's a bad idea. It was a bad idea. God doesn't work with this fairness thing. He doesn't go, okay, use... Here's what God does. You know, we, we do this chocolate bar thing, right? And I would have to cut it with a ruler if I brought one home. And even then, they'd be like, take out the micrometer, Dad. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, he got all the knots, you know. God does this. He goes, oh, oh, Elaine, here. Oh, you just, you just eat that chocolate. Oh, oh, look at her. Isn't she cute? She's got chocolate all over her face. Isn't that great? Here's some broccoli, Pastor Hal. I like broccoli. <laughs> he likes broccoli. No, you don't. Nobody likes broccoli. Come on. God does not play fair. God doesn't play fair at all. You want to know how I know he doesn't play fair? You are in America on 4th of July. Do you know how many people would give their eye teeth to be in your spot? And we think, oh, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that. And the Ethiopians are looking at you saying, you have everything. (laughs) Did you see that? You have everything! (laughs) Well, if there's ever a time to wrap up, it's this. Can I have the band to come up? (laughs) Up in the board, they actually have a button. They're like, all right, he's done. (laughs) Thing just shuts down. You've seen the, uh, the mic just go down at the Oscars? It's the same thing. This is what God says. Yes, I want you to go up this river. All I'm asking you to do is point your canoe upstream. Yes, I want you to go through this tough, tough thing. All I'm asking you to do is be faithful. Listen, I know that there are deserts in our life. How do I know this? Because God told me. And it's a dangerous thing when people say God told me. But he didn't tell me to tell you something, okay? He told me something, right? That's a big difference. God told me I would have a daughter. He told me I'd have a daughter. He didn't tell me I'd have uh, two. But he did tell me I'd have a daughter. And I I told Julie, I said, Julie, I just feel like the Lord is going to give me a daughter. I want a daughter. My boys are way too mean to me. I need somebody to be nice to me. Those little boys, second they meet some beautiful girl, they're gone, you know. They're like, "Mm, California, Florida, you know. But the girls, they'll take care of me when I get old. So I I like that. But I I said, I "I just feel it. And and Julie's like, all right, all right. Well, you know, great. And and, and miscarriage. Oh, my gosh. Not oops, but oh, God, miscarriage. Like hospital miscarriage. Like nightmare, 3 a.m. miscarriage. And, and as, as the man, you just, you just can't do anything. And you're there, and you're like, oh, what can I do? How can I? I cannot take this pain from you. I cannot, I cannot bear this burden for you. It just breaks your heart out. I would much rather take all the pain when my kids get sick or my wife gets sick. Oh, just give it to me. I, I'll deal with it. But I couldn't do it. I just watch her suffer through this horrible thing. We don't even talk about miscarriage in, in, in normal life. 75% of women have miscarriages. 75% have walked through the pain of loss of miscarriage. 
What a burden, and we don't talk about it. Second miscarriage. Second miscarriage. Now, Ryan, why didn't you stop after the first? Because I felt like the Lord told me something. Is that being selfish? It's not when the Lord tells you something. It's not when the Lord tells you something. When the Lord says, I've got something for you. Second miscarriage. This time, not as extreme, much earlier, and uh, uh, wasn't even a human. You know, we, we, Christians believe that a fertilized egg is a son or daughter of God. Immediately. Right at conception. That's when the soul comes into the human, and that's why we hate abortion in all forms. The second one was what they call a blight of ovum. It was not a human. It just, the body kind of freaks out and thinks it's pregnant. And, uh, and we were just... We were in horror. We were just like, God, come on. Oh, God has a sense of humor. Doesn't he? Doesn't he? Doesn't he know how to reward those who faithfully walk through a desert? And all the Christians who are old enough to have walked through several deserts say, Amen. And then on February 21, 2017, I got the gift of gifts. I never, ever in my wildest dreams would expect to have a second set of twins. Who has two sets of twins? Like, I know they can make these things in laboratories, and no shame, that's awesome, but when you're not expecting that kind of stuff, what's going on, Lord? Here's a picture from Father's Day. There we are. And the Bible says the man whose quiver is full is very blessed. And I, I'll tell you, that picture is a real reward at the end of many desert experiences. And I bet you had the same thing. I bet you had the same thing. I was, I was talking to a dad at a grad party just recently. And, and he said, for the first time, I've been able to play catch with my son in years. And that was, that was a desert he was walking through. And he kept walking. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get ticked off and, and mad at God. He, he said, I just, I just trusted the Lord that my son was going to come home. And my son was going to turn his life to Christ. And I'm making up for lost time, Ryan. I'm making up for lost time. Pictures like that aren't free. Pictures like that aren't free. That cost something. And you have pictures like that. You have flashbulb moments. And in the desert, it makes pictures like that so much sweeter. If those four kids just popped out, one, two, three, four... On the, uh, uh, you know, just with no difficulty, no problem, that picture would not be nearly as sweet as it is. It's pictures like that. Down dusty roads or blessings and roses. God, you're the same God. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies 
the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Close your eyes all over this place and I just have one question. All over this place, all over this house, if you would say, Ryan, I am in a desert. I need God to pour his strength into me. That he would, he would mount me up on wings like an eagle. I, I, I'm walking through something really painful right now. And just the other day, maybe you even thought, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I can't make it. If that's you, I want you just to put your hand up right now and say, Ryan, pray for me, man. I, I need it. I am walking through a desert place, a dry and thirsty land. Yeah, okay. Would everybody just stand to your feet for a moment? I need all the elders and deacons and pastors and, and their wives. and uh, we're, we're just going to come right here along the front. This may or not, may not be the end of your desert. But it's a great place to get a drink. The altar is open. And if you raised your hand, I want you just to come on down and get refreshed. Not by me, not by us, but by the Spirit of the Lord. How are you going to walk through a dry and thirsty land without the water of the Lord. Come on down right now and we're going to pray for you. And you can be as honest or, 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 or closed as you want about your particular desert. But what I, what I have found personally, what I have found personally, is that when I'm more open about what I'm walking through and the person can pray more directly about what I'm walking through, sometimes those deserts get a little bit shorter. Those roads get a little bit wider and, and sometimes there's a little bit more uh, uh, expediency to the journey through my desert when I'm just honest and when I'm open. So I really encourage you, if you're walking through a desert right now and you, you want to pray with somebody and you feel led, I mean, don't do anything you don't want to do, but if you feel led to just say, I am going through this, I promise you today, not that your desert will end, but I promise you, eventually, there's a miracle at the end of the road. We're going to sing. I'm going to pray real quick. We're going to sing, and then we're just going to pray for these folks, and then I'm going to come out and close out. Would you just hang with us for about four or five minutes? If you know somebody down here, I want you just to come on out and lay your hands on them. They have publicly admitted, I'm walking through a desert. Do you understand how scary or even potentially embarrassing that is for them? They need your support. They need to know. And in fact, some of my older hands in this place, some of my older hands, those of you who have walked through cancer, you've walked through divorce, you've walked through childhood rebellion, you've walked through addictions, you've, you've walked through wars, you've walked through post-traumatic stress disorder, you've walked through mental disease, you've walked through sicknesses, or you, you've walked through some tough things. Would you just come down here and put your hands on their shoulders right now? As they walk through some really, really tough deserts, they need to know that you're with them, that we're with them, that the body of Christ, that we don't walk alone, that the boat isn't empty. Jesus is here, and so are we. 
All right, we're going we're gonna to sing one song. I just need you to hang out for a moment. I'm going to pray. Put your hands towards these folks. Put your hands towards these folks. Just focus on them with your prayers. Let's pray together, would you? God, pour out your strength in them. Please, God, pour out your strength where they wait on you, Lord, that they'll, they'll mount up with wings just like eagles. Help them to have the calm assurance that you're God, you're Lord, you're in control, and you're going to see them through. At the end of this road, even as dusty as it is, there's a, a miracle. There's a ministry waiting for them. There's an opportunity waiting for them. God, I pray that you would move in their hearts, move in their lives. Father, the areas of pain that they're walking through right now, I, I pray that that would be a flashbulb experience, that that would make the water so much sweeter at the end, that you would move in their hearts move in their lives. Begin to change things, Father. God, I pray that you would remove any way in here. This would be a purifying event for them. God, I pray that you would touch those around them, that their ministry would be reaching out to them. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would comfort them. Father, just because they're in the desert doesn't mean that your Holy Spirit isn't there with them. He is the comforter, and he has been sent to give them peace, peace, perfect peace. Now we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, you guys are dismissed. We're so glad. Let me just speak a blessing over you. God, I just pray, whether they're walking through dusty roads or blessing and roses, remind them you are still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.